On today's episode, anxiety states and recovery time in runners. Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab, and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me undertrained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. Firstly, Happy New Year, Run Smarter Scholars. Uh, it is, I don't know, mid-December now, but at the time of release, this will be the 1st of January. So once again, Happy New Year. Hopefully we have some big running goals and races and rehab goals coming up in the, this year. Hopefully um, we can shift gears and start reevaluating what happened the year before and making smart decisions to get our best performance and reduce our risk of injury and all that sort of stuff. Uh, secondly, I want to say a thanks to Lena who helped share this paper that I'm about to talk about and dive into some other little particulars on today's episode. But it was a while ago. So Lena, you've now got a, um, a sense of how many ideas I have in advance because when you did suggest this paper, I put it down on my list and now it's down to the list this might have been maybe five months ago but the paper itself is titled anxiety state impact on recovery of runners with lower extremity injuries interesting title um it was released last year well <laughs> now that it's 2024 uh two years ago but you know 12 13 months ago december of 2022 was when it was published and uh, essentially trying to correlate, you know, emotional states with how runners negotiate the rehab process and what their recovery times are like and those sorts of things. When we do some scores and questionnaires and objective measures, subjective measures beforehand and see how they fare. Um, it, it is an interesting one that they've tailored this just to runners instead of athletes um, and they also had a look at running mechanics in this paper as well. So it was a long introduction throughout this paper, but I highlighted a few sections, um, particularly with the intro talking about, okay, the prevalence of running related injuries, how prevalent is it? They mentioned, you know, anywhere between uh, 20 to 80% of runners are injured in any given year. 40% uh, of those are due to overuse injuries and Recreational runners, they're injured at a rate of 7.7 .7 injuries per 1,000 hours of running. So enormous. Um, and it also says that it can be as high as 17.8 injuries per 1,000 hours of running in novices. Extremely high. Uh, then they go on to sort of uh, talk about how it links to anxiety in those sorts of states. But I've highlighted withdrawal from participation in running and other sports can cause mental stress, such as anxiety, depression, mood disturbances. 
anxiety can also increase after injury. And this condition is associated with fear of re-injury. Emotional responses to injury include sadness, anger, frustration, sleep disturbances, and disengagement. Short-term deprivation of exercise from as short as one day to two weeks can elevate anger, fatigue, confusion, and lower vigor. Long-term deprivation persisting for months can also be associated with elevated incidence of fear avoidance and less positive effect slash coping. Psychological distress is generally elevated after injury and improves over time. Emotional reactions to injuries are normal in athletes, but negative reactions that worsen or do not resolve over time can interfere with overall healing and well-being. So there's always like a bit of a relationship here where we flag a runner who's quite anxious, maybe depressed, maybe frustrated, angry, sleep disturbances, and we sort of highlight that as a factor for their recovery times. And they say, yeah, but I'm feeling all those things because I'm injured. Um, and rightly so. People, when they are injured, um, they do get very frustrated. They do get very anxious, anxious about the injury, anxious about it worsening, anxious about them not getting better or not being able to participate in races that they have coming up in the future. It's There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of um, uncertainty about recovery times, how serious it is, maybe uncertain about the diagnosis itself, maybe worried about this injury because they've had this same injury pop up several times within the year. Maybe they're not sure what's going on. Um, And also like linked with pain, like injuries are also painful and pain is very closely linked to misery. Like someone who is in a lot of pain, it's very hard to be in a positive state of mind and very hard to not be in a negative state of mind. And so these things are very closely linked, but we are all humans. We all have different personalities and we all have different personalities before getting injured. Some people are more anxious than others. Some people are more depressed than others. Some people are more emotionally interwoven into the lifestyle of being a runner. Some people are strongly linked to the identity of being a runner. And when that is taken away, they are, um, that, that identity is taken away and that can pose a big risk to their recovery times. If they are feeling like they've got a bit of a loss of identity Um, Dan King is a perfect example of someone who I spoke to um, while I interviewed, as you would have heard, and he's been injured. I've been working with him for a couple of weeks now, and his outlook and state of mind is just superb. He has all these goals that he wants to do, and he was performing at a very, very elite level, and he has world records that he wants to break in next year, and this injury has prevented him from getting back to running and it's been several weeks now, but to my surprise, he is just fine with it. He is like, you know what? I'm pretty happy doing my cross training, doing my strength training, just learning to listen to my body and learning to the process. And it is just rare that someone has that kind of response after being injured, but only because he doesn't really have much of an identity towards 
being a runner. He identifies himself as an endurance athlete and is happy just playing golf, uh, doing his strength training, doing a lot of cycling, doing his swimming, um, but also is fascinated about his body and this injury and what he can do can do to reduce his risk once he is back to running. And so a totally different approach mentally to the recovery process. And I know he's going to be improving and recovering very well, which he is um, of late. And so in this introduction, uh, we do need to highlight that strong relationship between, okay, yes, when people are injured, it's often associated with a lot of these emotional states, these negative emotional states, but also people have different um, baselines or different starting points before being injured. Everyone has different emotions and different characteristics and personalities and those sorts of things play a role when it comes to being injured, getting injured, how much pain they experience when they're injured, and then recovery times, which we'll soon talk about. A few other things that are highlighted in the introduction itself. They say, despite these emerging relationships, the current clinical paradigm for running injury still primarily focuses on the physical treatment. So yes, definitely if you go walk into a doctor's office or a physio or any other health professional, odds are if you're injured, they're just going to focus on the injury. They're going to say, you have a sore knee, let's work on strengthening the sore knee and um, these are some rehab tips for the sore Very rarely will they ask about your mood states, your sleep, um, stress levels, how you think about this process. Is there, Are you fear avoiding or anything like that? Um, therefore, the purpose of this study was to examine the effect of anxiety on subjective and objective performance measures during the recovery process from a lower extremity running-related injury in recreational runners. Um, The other thing that I should maybe just repeat uh, earlier, they say that while these traits are normal in runners that do get injured, like sadness, anger, frustration, sleep disturbances, all those sorts of things, um, that is normal in the injury. We We expect as you recover, those anxiety states and those negative emotional states to slowly get better alongside that recovery. But if these emotional states prolong or these emotional states get worse, that is a sign that we should step in and start addressing the psychological distress and the emotional states uh, to help alongside your recovery. Because fear avoidance um, is another term that they threw out in this introduction essentially if you if the pain gets worse and worse throughout the injury or the pain is prolonged and not getting better some people can start to become fearful of certain movements like stairs or sitting or running or cycling and they retreat away from those sorts of things and that um more and more retreating leads to more and more anxiety and fear of doing those movements. And so that's obviously a flag that we need to raise and make sure that we address why someone is so fearful, why someone is so anxious to do those movements, because in most cases it's perfectly safe and sometimes it's a bit of an overreaction. Let's get into the study design. So uh, they 
gathered a bunch of participants. It included men, women, aged between 18 and 65 years old, seeking rehabilitation care and treatment for a running-related injury. And the injury itself had prevented running, um, well, had prevented them from running or had a decrease in their current regular training volume. So if there was an, if they were still running, the injury itself had to was um, dictating how much volume they could actually do. They found a total of 41 participants that met the inclusion and exclusion criteria. And so these 41 runners, injured runners, went through a whole bunch of uh, questionnaires and surveys and those sorts of things. Some of them being the state trait anxiety inventory, the positive and negative affect schedule, the profile of mood states. These are all just different questionnaires. The Tampa scale of kinesiophobia, which is uh, a particularly interesting one for me. I have a, um, I think, well, first of all, kinesiophobia is just a very, uh, you know, long-term, complicated term to mean fear of movement. So kinesio means movement, I think, and phobia meaning a fear of. Um, and, you know, while some people might have a fear of movement, I think the differentiation is um, pain with movement and fear of movement. If you have pain with movement and you don't want to do that movement, that's fine. But if someone has a, an irrational fear of doing something because they think it might cause pain, that's something entirely different. Because I've seen people say, oh, I don't want to, I have a fear of uh, walking uphill and you actually go and do it. And they're like, oh, actually, it's not as bad as I thought. They have a fear of doing the thing rather than it actually being painful while doing the thing. So that was another questionnaire and these just sort of rank. So once you do this questionnaire or rank, either you're high in the, you have a high kinesiophobia, um, no kinesiophobia or somewhere in between, it'll just give you a score. The other one was the University of Wisconsin Running Injury and Recovery Index. The, w, the UWRI um, questionnaire, which I personally enjoy. I actually, at the time of recording, which is mid-December, uh, did a blog post, which you might recall or remember, about this particular questionnaire. And it's got nine items on it. I think in the blog I only included, included five. But there's some really interesting subjects. It's a, it's a questionnaire that you just rank, you tick uh, very likely, least likely, that sort of stuff. But the topics that they include around this is specific for running related injuries. So I don't really see many of that. Um, the topics themselves, I find really um, interesting. It's questions relating to how the injury has affected your confidence with running, your uh, how it affects your um, longest run or your weekly distance, your pain with running, your frustration level, which is another interesting one, um, and your ability to perform daily tasks, so things outside of running. So just covering some physical yet emotional elements, such as, you know, frustration level, confidence with running. These are big, big.
big topics when it comes to emotional states. And I see a lot of runners and I can see that some people are highly, highly anxious to actually run. Whereas some people are fine to run, even though they have pain. Whereas some might not have a lot of pain, but they have a high anxiety state to run. So big, big differences and a, a big difference to those, how we approach those two people. These participants also did the lower extremity functional scale, um, which is a pretty typical private practice um, questionnaire when people are injured. Okay, so they went through all those and then they ranked all these people uh, on how like a high anxious group and a low anxious group, but they also looked at their running performance. They also got them running on a treadmill with a whole bunch of different reflectors so they could analyze their uh, kinetic parameters and things like leg swing, things like cadence, things like step length, vertical displacement, center of gravity, step width, all those sorts of things, uh, just to see if there was any links there. Uh, they also looked at uh, kinematics, so looking at ground reaction force, looking at um, vertical peak ground reaction force normalized to people's body weight and also their vertical average loading rate, which was normalized to their body weight. Um, so they did that before and after the trials to see if they changed how they ran before and after once they had recovered or once they had returned back to their normal volume of running, which I think in this study, I think they just kept following people until they recovered and they based their recovery on when they were back to returning to their normal volume of running. Okay, the results. So um, first of all, participant characteristics, which they include in this study, they say that the, because they separate these groups out into a high anxious group and a low anxious group when finding out, calculating their scores on all these questionnaires. But the baseline characteristics for both of these groups were well-matched. So the type of injuries that they had, uh, the location of their injuries, the um, like how severe that injury was, those sorts of things, the number of, um, say, stress fractures in one group was the same as the amount of stress fractures in the other group. Uh, their typical weekly training distance and their running frequency, how many times per week they ran, were also similar in both of these groups. So just... Um, we need to bear that in mind. It all, we also need to bear in mind that eight participants per group withdrew from this study. So eight from the low anxious group, eight from the highly anxious group. And they showed big differences uh, in compared to the rest of the study, but the differences in the injury location and the type were um, not really detected among both of those groups. So those who were withdrawn, um, the types of injuries didn't really correlate with why they withdrew. Okay, um, the discussion. The discussion kind of summarizes or like um, goes through the results and also goes through the author's um, theory on why these things happen. So they said that in the discussion, our hypothesis originally was that highly anxious levels during rehab would negatively affect mood state, kinesiophobia, 
the running related quality of life and quality of life indicators. Our results partially confirmed this hypothesis. Both the highly, the highly anxious group and the low anxious groups in general improved in psychological well-being, self-reported performance measures and gait parameters. However, the runners who were withdrawn demonstrated persistent anxiety to the last available follow-up point. So even though you started out highly anxious and you always started out lowly, lowly anxious, um, the quality improved throughout the rehab. So people were getting better and better and better with their emotional states. But the ones who, um, the ones who withdrew, even though they withdrew very late in the um, research or in the study, uh, they just weren't getting better. They were, their emotional state wasn't improving, wasn't improving, wasn't improving, and they just fell out. Uh, they said, oh, I don't know why. I'm just um, not sure why they actually withdrew, but I'm just imagining. If they're just not getting better, they're not seeing any improvements, oh, I'm done with this. I'm tired of filling out questionnaires and that sort of stuff. They said that all runners improved several gait metrics, including their speed and cadence uh, when they returned and you know, finished off the, the study. However, the highly anxious group maintained high impact loading rates and did not significantly modify leg stiffness at the end of recovery. So towards the end, when they were back to their full weekly volume, for some reason, they had the ones who were very anxious or highly in the highly anxious group had high loading rates when they impact the ground, the, the rates of load are higher. These findings could be applied to developing rehab targets. So now talking about if you are a health professional reading this, um, they can benefit from working with runners around if they are finding that runners coping with highly anxious uh, markers can shift some of their rehab to um, positive rehab gains and setting specific goals around improving their running technique. In other words, trying to get those average loading rates down to better levels. Importantly, these findings indicated the potential for anxiety and elements of well-being, such as sleep, worry, and general health, to be considered in future tracking among runners at the start of rehabilitation. Similarly, our highly anxious and low anxious runners improved in uh, their running index questionnaire that I mentioned before, that um, questionnaire was specified for runners. So the highly anxious group improved their scores by 98%. The low anxious group improved their scores by 109%, so better than the highly anxious group, suggesting a differential impact of anxiety on these scores. Runners who were withdrawn from this study only improved their score by 25%. So, you know, when we looked at uh, questions such as their um, distance of their long run, weekly long run, how frustrated they are, how confident or, um, yeah, how confident they are with their running. The highly anxious group, 98%. The low anxious group, 109%, so improving significantly. Those who withdrew didn't improve much and only improved by 25% on this particular questionnaire. In 
Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Contrast to our hypothesis, kinesiophobia levels did not significantly change within either group during recovery. Our runners did not demonstrate high kinesiophobia scores as has been reported by athletes in other acute injuries like ACL injuries. So they just make a note that for some reason, uh, running related injuries included in the study didn't link correlate much with high levels of kinesiophobia, fear of movement. And I think that's fair to say. I think there's a lot of runners who get injured and they just keep running. They're, they're fine with, you know, still exercising. Uh, ACL injuries are more like traumatic. Uh, usually you lose a lot of confidence in your body if you have a, if you just plant your foot, twist, and all of a sudden your knee leg collapses and you found that you've ruptured your ACL out of nowhere um, just with a insidious kind of pivot twist sort of movement, um, you can understand where why that would be more accompanied with some kinesiophobia when trying to return back to activity as opposed to, say, like a um, calf strain. You'd be like, okay, um, you could kind of see how that comes in place. However, I have done another podcast episode on kinesiophobia and there was a study done on patellofemoral pain. I think patellofemoral pain, I've seen a lot of people with patellofemoral pain that have this kinesiophobia, especially if this patellofemoral pain becomes chronic. This is like pain in and around the kneecap, painful with things like squatting, stairs, lunges, sometimes running, sometimes cycling, those sorts of things. And, um, Definitely, it's like a sharpish kind of pain and people can lose a lot of confidence if they notice like a sharp pain going up and down stairs. They become very fearful. Then They become fearful to squat. They become fearful to bend over. Um, if this, be, Like I say, if this becomes chronic and this becomes quite debilitating, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of people with kinesiophobia with that. And so I did include a, a paper that talked about catastrophization and kinesiophobia and how it significantly impacts recovery times. So it can negatively um, affect your recovery times despite how severe the injury is. Some people can come in with a lot of pain and very low kinesiophobia and catastrophization and improve a lot better and a lot faster than someone has very low levels of pain not wouldn't be counted as would be counted as like a mild injury but has very high kinesiophobia they're destined it seems to be have a a very long lasting recovery and a lot more um you know dysfunction things that really prolong so so add that in okay the paper conclusion let's continue the highly anxious group demonstrated persistently higher vertical average loading rates, which I mentioned before, and minimal change in leg stiffness by the final time point. These findings could be clinically relevant with respect to recurrent 
injury, generally a history of running injuries increases the risk of another injury among recreational runners. Runners who are unable to adjust to their technique may be at risk of recurrent chronic injury. So if we let these runners go out into the world with, if they're highly anxious and they have these high loading rates, uh, they might be subject to increases of risk, increased risk of injuries in the future. Therefore, it's probably something we should address. The, author, the authors say, we found that throughout recovery, negative scores remained higher in the highly anxious group, um, particularly with this PANAS, what was that questionnaire? Let me go all the way back up, go through the questionnaires. So particularly in the positive and negative effect scale or effect schedule, sorry, that questionnaire, um, they're talking about this one specifically. So they those scores remained higher in the highly anxious group, which may be interfering with recovery efficacy and optimization of the gait outcomes. Okay, clinical Im implications. The paper says, specific steps may be taken to help injured runners move through recovery. First, a shift in mindset towards positive gains achieved during recovery may help reduce or manage anxiety through specific rehabilitation. This may be accomplished through involvement of the athlete as much as possible in local and regional running group meetings or with specific uh, supportive training partners. For example, while peer runners are performing loops or routines, the injured athlete can participate with walking or walk-run programs, pre- and post-warm-ups or strength training exercises. So just getting them involved in the social context and the social interaction within their rehab. Apply techniques that promote positive mental state and rehabilitation adherence, including positive self-talk, guided imagery, modeling videos, emotional written disclosure, and goal setting. Clinicians can develop with the, can develop with the patient a tangible set of goals that focuses on individual corrections of gait technique, so such as uh, what they found with reducing vertical loading rates and controlling leg stiffness and gains in neuromuscular or neuromotor control. Consider referrals to a mental health professional if the patient is not progressing and adjusting functionally and continues expressing negative emotions or negative concerns. And third, the use of tools to screen for anxiety and depression early in the recovery process may help clinicians identify which runners may, be higher, may have a higher likelihood of a challenging and protracted recovery due to anxiety-related issues. I think that's really important because very rarely do we pick up or address or even bring to the table someone's emotional state, nor do injured runners maybe... Um, consider their emotional state as a part of their rehab and think, you know, their emotional state just goes along for the ride. And if I just do my exercises, things will get better. Or if I just continue to run with this injury, I'll feel better. Um, you know, actively investing in identifying these type of issues and then actively implementing strategies to help with your mental side can be immensely valuable. 
In conclusion, high anxiety level may characterize runners who will have greater challenges reducing negative mental affect and fully optimizing running mechanics during recovery from lower body running injuries. Okay, that's the paper. Thanks, Lena, for sharing that one. Um, I've got a few things that I want to talk about. One is why there may be a link with anxiety and pain and lack of recovery and all those sorts of things. Um, as you may know, I have a particular interest in pain science ever since I, or probably five to 10 years after graduating, I started developing more and more of an interest in this particular field. When I started seeing more chronic patients, especially runners with chronic issues, uh, became very curious and this makes complete sense in my eyes when it comes to why people with such a highly anxious state of mind will have challenges with their recovery because we all need to bring it back to the brain. We know that um, we don't have pain when there's injury. We have pain when the brain thinks there's an injury. We don't have pain um, when there's damage. We have pain when the brain thinks there's damage. And it can all come back to the what the brain thinks about this injury. And the brain itself will dictate, will 100% dictate how much pain is directed to an area or what pain, where the pain goes throughout the body and how much pain goes to that area when we are injured or when we do think we are injured. And so the brain constantly prioritizes these things, constantly prioritizes what the relevance is. Okay, how important do I think this is? And for those who are very anxious, who have thoughts about things going wrong, they're really catastrophizing, uh, really hyper fixated on this injury, really ruminating all the time. The brain's going to think of this as priority number one. This injury is serious. This injury can get worse. This injury will get worse if we don't really take care of it. Let's be super cautious around it and... I'm going to do my job as the brain to provide as much pain as possible so that no further damage is done. Compare that to a runner who has not much of an injury. Let's use me as an example. So uh, two days ago, I played basketball and I jarred my thumb. And <laughs> this is going to be an interesting example. Jarred my thumb and... Um, was quite painful to move, quite painful to make a fist and those sorts of things. But I played the rest of the game. Um, I've My thumb has been particularly unstable for a long time. I think I've just jarred it way too many times playing basketball and now even trying to pick things up or um, pick up McKenzie. Like in very certain precise angles, it just becomes very vulnerable and almost kind of gives way. But um very rarely does that happen. So I've got a history there, but I don't really think about it as much of a serious issue. Um, and so I continued to play basketball as if nothing really went wrong. Afterwards, didn't really think much about it. Um, started like, you know, testing it out, doing my own like finger grips and that sort of stuff to see how so I think it was. But afterwards, I'm like, you know what? Didn't really think about it. When I woke up the next morning, Forgot that I had done that until I started picking something up. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that happened. But 
um, by today, uh, which is two days later, um, it's 99% better. And this isn't really me just talking about like I've willed this injury away. It's just me about how I've thought about that injury um, compared to someone else or if someone's thinks that they might have dislocated their thumb or there might have been a fracture in their thumb when they jarred it and now they're really cautious and um, wanting to put it in a cast and then those sorts of things. The brain's going to react very, very differently to those two scenarios. So just something to pay close attention to. And one question I like asking my clients now, especially those who've had it for a long time and just when they're explaining their injury story, I sort of pick up on a couple of things that might um, link to these emotional states. Um, I like to ask the question of how much time do you spend thinking about this injury? And, you know, if you have, I, I, I can sometimes have an inkling of that. And a lot of times I'm actually quite surprised at how often people say it is taking up every minute of my day. It's taking up every single minute of my day. Um, when it's worse, when it's at its worst, every single second of my day. And how bad is that for someone's recovery? If we are trying to, if we've just just talked about the relevance that the brain has for this injury to produce pain and persistent pain and all those sorts of things, if we're thinking about it every single second, how on earth are we going to try and dial down that response and try to get the brain to de-escalate that or reshuffle some um, levels of prioritizing. Say for my thumb, I woke up and I forgot it even happened. And so the brain's not really paying attention to it. Um, but if I woke up and I'm like, oh my God, how's my thumb feeling? Um, and I spent the, the first hour of my day really hyper fixated on it. Um, that's a different story. And so when we ask people with chronic pain, how much time do you spend thinking about your injury? And they say, it's all I do. Um, big, big flag that we need to address that. And on the converse side of that, um, when people start recovering, they sometimes report to me, I went two hours without even thinking about my injury. I sat down at a meeting and I didn't feel my butt pain once, nor did I think about my butt pain or... I went for a 20-minute run and for the vast majority of it, didn't even think I was injured. Didn't even occur to me that I had a knee injury. Um, and even I get some clients, I had one last week being like, you know that chronic plantar fasciitis that we've been addressing? I just woke up yesterday and I couldn't even remember which foot I had it on. And that is the gold standard <laughs> that I think is the gold standard for the brain has a no, is no longer prioritizing that because the brain no longer knows, remembers what side uh, that is because someone could be pain-free for six months and they still wake up, plant their foot on the ground, take their first few steps and say, okay, is that pain going to return? Is that pain still there? Like I know exactly where it was. And again, the brain will still prioritize that pretty highly because you're committed to your energy. There's a lot of energy committed to remembering that specific injury. I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but I know this is important. It sort of all ties in and I want you to appreciate what we can do emotionally to help this recovery, 
to help your injury rather than just doing your exercises. Goes well beyond that. Um, some resources for you. The book Rebound, if this is you, if you feel like you're mentally struggling with the rehab side of things, um, highly recommend that book Rebound. It's by um, Cindy Kumars and Carrie Cheadle. I've had Carrie Cheadle as a guest on the podcast in the early days, if you want to listen to her. Uh, while I am talking about podcast episodes, episode 176 is the one I talk about um, that knee pain study. The title of that episode is Catastrophization and Kinesiophobia Hindering Your Recovery. If you want to type that into the podcast player of choice, into the search bar, that episode will pop up. In research for this episode, I just typed in the Run Smarter Podcast, Kinesiophobia, and then that episode popped up straight away. Um, you could do that with other episodes. I know I get a lot of comments being like, do you have any episodes on knee pain? Do you have any episodes on um, osteoarthritis? Do you have any episodes? All I do is just go to my podcast directory, type in the search, the Run Smarter Podcast, um, cartilage, and those episodes pop up. Unless you want to go onto the Run Smarter Podcast app, uh, Run Smarter is the app. And in there, you click on podcast and you can scroll down. And I've categorized all these episodes into specific injuries, into misconceptions, into pain, into osteoarthritis, all those sorts of things, if that interests you. Okay. I want to finish up with some final tips. Uh, if you are finding you, you are a highly emotional, anxious type of person, or now that you are injured, you're in a highly anxious state. Number one, like the paper suggests, you can see a health professional, you can talk through these things or even talk to family members or other runners or coaches just so they can understand and you can kind of vent your frustrations and that can help. Uh, number two, try to implement some sort of intervention that helps with your mindset that can be meditation, that can be deep breathing, that can be practicing appreciation. I have um, mainly for sleep, but I've done this um, yoga nidra. There's a podcast I listen to um, and it, it's called, I'm going to look it up because <laughs> I know I'm going to forget it. It's called Yoga Nidra and Beyond. And there's a whole bunch of episodes there listening to with Yoga Nidra tracks self-guided to sort of listen to and talk about relevance, like the brain prioritizing things. If you are dedicating every second of your life to this injury, or if you're thinking about it every second, if you listen to one of those Yoga Nidra tracks, you're going to forget about it while listening to it because what it does is put you in a very calm, relaxed mood maybe go through some deep breathing exercises so you follow along. And then it's going to ask you to shift your consciousness to different areas of the body. So you're thinking about your right hand thumb. You're thinking about your big toe. Draw your awareness to your right ear, your left eyebrow, your scalp, your um, lower back, and like those sorts of things. And you are just trying to keep up with this consciousness throughout your body and it is almost impossible to think about all those things and do it with real intent 
while also consciously monitoring how your knee pain is going. Um, so if you listen to that for 20, 30 minutes, hey, that's 30 minutes of you not thinking about your injury, which can help you know, shuffle this prioritization that the brain has established. So those interventions can help. Um, if you are anxious about returning to running or you are fearful, um, that fear avoidance I was talking about before, just be very conservative. Recognize that um, it may be a patient process. You may be the type of person where we do need to take it a little bit more slowly compared to the progress of someone else. Um, and then just take small incremental steps. If you're anxious about running, okay, what aren't you anxious doing? Can you jog on the spot for five seconds? If you can do that, let's build that up and jog on the spot for 30 seconds. If you can do that, let's then do a walk-run program where you're walking all in all. Let's say you walk for two minutes and then just every two minutes you jog on the spot or jog for five seconds and then stop. Uh, then let's build that up to 30 seconds. Let's build that to a minute. There will be some level that a some little step that leads you towards your goal, which is pain-free running, that isn't anxiety-provoking. There's always going to be a little step there. As small as it might be, there'll be something there that's like, oh, yeah, I could easily do that. That doesn't, prov- that doesn't elicit any anxiety whatsoever. Okay, let's do that. At least it's a small jumping point towards that goal that you have. And as you build that up, your confidence in yourself, your confidence to go through these steps is going to increase. If your confidence increases, your anxiety decreases, and that's going to help your overall process. So um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoy talking about the mental side of things. Um, I think there's a lot more we can do in terms of rehab that isn't just about doing your exercises, getting stronger, um, design a cardio running program that suits your injury and those sorts of things. Yes, it does make up the bulk of the athletes I talk with, but some may need less of, some may need a lot more of these psychological strategies or at least understanding how much of an influence these psychological components are, how important they are. And I hope this enlightened you. Hopefully you see this with new eyes if you are injured or if you do have an injury in the future it's best to learn these things so hope you enjoyed like i say happy new year enjoy the rest of your holidays if you do have some no doubt at the date of this release i'll be excited to watch the new year's cricket test uh, hopefully we are beating pakistan 2-0 and this will be the third and final test of uh, this cricket series and so good luck the australian cricket team good luck to all of you as well wishing you all of your hopes and dreams for 2024. Hopefully we've got some goals that we've written down that we can accomplish and we'll work through it together with this Run Smarter podcast. So I'm glad that you're investing your time, dedication into raising up your running IQ and we'll catch you in the next episode. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20-minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk, and increase your performance. If emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram, and YouTube channels. 
And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. Mm -hmm.